we got the instruments together, then we step up at the mics, and it comes out something like this. <laughs> friends welcome back to the sail on podcast you're listening to wyatt here in nashville tennessee joined as always by my good buddy jason brewer afternoon good morning whatever you're listening to this how are you well i'm doing good and i hope everybody else is we are doing a very special episode today we've been on the road as always with our beach boys tribute sail on we got to meet some really, really great people this last couple weeks, and I wanted to give some special shout-outs to them. Um, Tim in Columbus, Jacob and Matt in Norcross, Georgia, uh, Ray Taylor and Jez Graham that came out to our show in Duluth, some good buddies, and then also um, Kevin in Nelsonville, Ohio, came down from Columbus, Ohio, who we met earlier this year, and uh, we you know, turned him onto the podcast and then also was very gracious enough to bring us a CD that he really loved that he thought we would dig. Um, it's by Flash Cadillac and the Continental Kids, Sons of the Beaches. Super cool. And it's a kind of a Beach Boys style album from like the early 70s that uh, is really great. So if you haven't checked that out, please do. Thank you very much, Kevin. It means a lot that you... Uh, came out to see us and to all you guys thank you for coming and thanks for listening to the podcast and it's really awesome to put faces to these uh listeners and uh get to share some you know stories with you guys but if you guys are interested please come out and see us sometime um we're doing a bunch more shows this year so i would never have been interested in seeing a beach boys tribute band um much less playing in one until these guys kind of put together a show that i feel really proud of so because um, we try and do it with as much humility and as much respect as we can. That's right. It's all about that music. All right. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, we'll catch up on a couple voicemails today. Uh, the first one is from Doug Stoniker. Wyatt, Jason, this is Doug Stoniker from Tubac, Arizona. Um, big fan of the podcast. It's just fantastic. I, I, I'm only up to the Phil Spector episode and listening as much as I can. But boy, I mean, such fun, such excitement. You've made me care about Beach Boy songs that I, I thought I could never care for. Um, so kudos. I mean, it's just, it's a delight. Uh, I'm often struck by the interconnectivity of the groups that you listen to and the music that you listen to. And I think, well, there's got to be some gene, right? some genetic code here that makes us all love this stuff. Uh, anyway, I will call you back at another time and and uh, give you my Beach Boys fandom history. I love hearing those calls. But I wanted to get with you today, which is near the end of June, because I just found out that you're going to be in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, on July 4th. Now, my wife's family is from Punxsy. Um, and we are there usually every summer. And of course, the Groundhog Festival is what everyone goes to. Well, this is the one year I'm not going. And you guys are going to be there, so I'm just crushed. I hope that that goes really well. When you go, um, of course, you have to go to Punxy Phil's for breakfast. It's the diner there. Uh, Gobbler's Knob. Uh, also, there's a great ice cream place. Uh, I think it's ice cream. It's really interesting. It's called the Country Cone. So go to the Country Cone and get ice cream and make sure you get plenty of little eye candies on that ice cream. Anyway, I've talked too long. Thank you so much again uh, for bringing this podcast together. Um, it's amazing. No one has done it before, but I can think of nobody better um, than you two to be doing it. Also, one last thing. 
huge Explorers Club fan. Um, I, I, I often uh, will let uh, uh, our Echo play uh, Explorers Club while we're doing other things, and uh, it's just uh, wonderful music and something I greatly enjoy. And thank you. Would love to see you in Arizona sometime. I know it's a bit of a drive, but um, I, I would certainly be there uh, for anything and everything. So anyway, thanks again, uh, Doug in uh, Tubac, Arizona, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Doug. Thanks for leaving us a voicemail. Really glad you discovered our podcast. Glad you're up to the Phil Spector episode. That's maybe one of my favorites because I'm such a Spector fanatic. Um, Really excited to, you know, get more of your thoughts on your complete Beach Boys fandom, as you mentioned. And also, thanks for the kudos about the Explorers Club stuff. We actually played in the Phoenix area about 11 years ago. Um, we were on tour with our good friends, the Apples and Stereo. So we need to go back to the Southwest. I, I really love it out there. But hey, Doug, thanks again. Really glad to connect and thank you for the voicemail. And speaking of Explorers Club, let's go ahead and mention that we're playing a one-off show in the Los Angeles area. That's right. September 15th, we are playing at the Vintage Vibe Festival in Santa Anita Park, I think is the name of the place. Um, yep. And that's going to be really exciting. Lots of interesting indie bands on the bill, and we're stoked to be one of them. If you're in the Southern California area and you want to hear us play some Explorers Club songs, then come see us. You can Google Vintage Vibe Festival and get tickets that way. And if you're super confused right now about what the Explorers Club is, that's our original group that Jason's been uh, writing for and uh, playing with for a long time. And I and I was uh, asked to join about five years ago. So we've got a record out a couple years ago that we really love called Together. So if you guys want to check that out, I think if you're Beach Boys fans, you'll find something to love in there. Absolutely. All right. Next voicemail is from Tim Meese. Hi, Wyatt and Jason. My name is Tim Meese. I'm calling from Chicago, Illinois. Just wanted to call and say I'm a huge fan of your podcast. It's exactly what I've been waiting for and looking for as a big lifelong Beach Boys fan. This is perfect listening material. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I've just blown right through all of the episodes. So every new one that comes is a blessing and the time in between is a test of my patience. But it's all good. Um, I really love what you guys talk about um, in you know every aspect of, uh, of the Beach Boys. But one that I haven't heard of is uh, you, know, you talk about the vocal blend and how well they, they sing together. But I've always thought it was very miraculous how much they sound like each other and how that affects the blend. Uh, especially uh, the Al, Carl, Brian sound, um, specifically Al and Brian. You listen uh, to a song like, I know there's an answer. And when it goes, Mike, Al, Brian, that line between Al and Brian gets so blurred that, uh, especially on that like, last chorus, if you don't really know what you're listening to, like that just sounds like the same guy going all the way through. And that to me is one of the things that is just so amazing about them, that not only can they blend well, but um, they can really step in each other's roles uh, just seamlessly so uh that's my two cents you'll probably hear from me again several times you'll probably get sick of my voice but i won't get sick of yours as you guys keep churning out great episodes so god bless you guys and love and mercy bye-bye yeah i've always felt that um that al and brian really sounded a lot alike when they were double tracked um you can tell distinct differences depending on the song but it almost seems like al could imitate Brian if they had if he had to on stuff and I think he did later on too like in like harmony bits and doing some of the falsettos on records and you're thinking is that Brian no that might be Bruce or Al together um so I think they always have I think Carl does sound like them I think Brian actually will kind of imitate Carl if that makes any sense I think it kind of goes back and forth but I kind of hear that when you when you hear things trading around though carl's voice was a lot lot like had just more sweetness to it than either one of those other guys so you know there was some differentiation but i definitely know that they were such a great blenders and such just tight 
not only because they were family and really good friends, but just tight musically that they could just lock into each other's parts. And and it, it kind of goes the same for the Beatles too. Um, Cause when the Beatles recorded uh, like, you know, the stuff when John had passed with Jeff Lynn, Paul was tr- going in and just imitating John to ghost his vocal. So tight harmony groups, man, they sing together enough and hear each other enough to really try to sound like each other. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that message there, Tim. I think also we mentioned it on the Christmas episode because Al did his first lead vocal on that record on um, Christmas day. And I always thought that was Brian. Um, And that just goes to show, man, they all sound really, really similar. Uh, And it really does explain why the harmonies are so beautiful. It's because they all have a similar quality to their voice and similar tone and and um, I think, you know, that's mostly because of Brian and him, you know, kind of molding them into great singers and um, really them all striving to to make that harmony blend. So it's great, man. It's it's one of those things that's just hard to replicate. You can get as many great singers together as you can, but it's hard to get guys that can really blend well together and uh, that family aspect is also a huge part of it. Um, Dennis's voice, while it may be, you know, kind of different from the other guys, he still is a Wilson, and he still could find a great place to to kind of settle into that harmony stack. And it always um, blows my mind to hear these young kids on these early records just sounding so so pretty. So, yeah, something that we've always really been fans of. So, uh, thank you again, Tim. That'll catch us up for the moment on voicemails. You can always uh, give us a call, leave us a message, or send us a text message at 615-606-3887, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Tell us what your uh, favorite Beach Boys album is, and tell us how you got into the Beach Boys. We love hearing those stories. It's always fun Um, because it's always different also love for one of you guys to leave us a voicemail of you singing all of summer of love just saying (laughs) yeah send that to jason's personal number so where were we so we were talking about uh, the beach boys christmas album uh, because they recorded that in the summer of 1964 and then they went on a big tour and the tour um, would result in a live album. Um, but they started recording this live album back in December of 1963. Uh, it was actually Fred Vale who came up with the idea. Fred was, you know, a young kid at the time who was also a concert promoter and he ended up being, uh, the Beach Boys road manager on a lot of these early gigs. And, um, they played a gig on December 21st in Sacramento and uh, Fred went to Murray and Brian in late October, and he said, you know what, we ought to record one of these concerts. We ought to record Sacramento when you come in December. Brian and Murray looked at him like, number one, why would we do that? Number two, why would anyone buy a concert album of a live concert? And Fred said, well, every kid that's ever been to one of your concerts wants to relive it, and then every kid that's never been wants to, wants to know what it's like. So I think, you know, it would be a great idea. So... He convinced them to do it. They brought a lot of equipment up to the venue, which was Memorial Auditorium. And uh, that's Fred Vale that you hear at the beginning of the record emceeing. Um, and they recorded about half the record in December of 1963. And then when they came back to Sacramento in August of 1964, they recorded again some more songs, some newer songs for the record. And then they also had to go in uh, a few weeks later to add some sweetening to the record, as they call it. But really, it's just overdubs because either the record didn't come out like they wanted live or they wanted to add some things that they didn't add while they were actually playing the show. Um, And uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But there was something interesting that they did on that session also. They did a little jingle advertisement for the new Honda 55 motorbike because they were still doing that little promotional uh run for honda with little honda and uh it's an awesome little jingle i don't it's not been released i don't think and uh i tracked it down 
while I was doing my research for this episode, but I had never heard it before, and it's super cool. Honda 55. Honda 55. Two, three, go. Honda 55. One, two, three, go. Honda 55. One more time, but I'm just echoing back. When we talk, it goes. Yeah. Okay. One, two, one, two, three. Honda 55. One more. One, two, one, two, three. Honda 55. Yeah, kind of blew me away. I hadn't heard it until you actually showed it to me. So, killer. Yeah, it's nuts. I'm still tracking down things uh, that exist in some form or another that I have never heard before. So, very cool. Hopefully, you guys dig that too. Uh, but yeah, let's get into this record. Um, so yeah, this album came out in October of 1964, October 19th, and it was actually their first number one album. It was also the first live album to top the pop music record charts, maintaining its position for four weeks during a 62-week chart stay, and it was a gold seller. So that's pretty incredible. It was their first number one. Yeah, that's so cool. Do you know what their second number one record is? Yes. <laughs> it's, a not, it's a compilation. That's right. It's, in, it's, it's endless, endless summer. summer. It was number one twice. It's crazy. They never had a number one album, like an actual um, studio album. Well, in that 60s period, in their heyday, you know, singles were king. Yeah, that's true. Albums were bought by their parents, and the parents wanted to buy Frank Sinatra, you know? Yep. Let's get into the album and, and what we think of it and, and the set list and, and all that good stuff, because... Um, there's a lot going on here. There's more than meets the eye or the ear, as it were. Yeah. So we did a little bonus episode last week talking about the Beach Boys Lost concert, which is very similar to what they were doing here. The Beach Boys Lost concert was recorded kind of in between these two sessions. And better. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, it does sound a little bit better because um, it was done like kind of on a sound stage and not in like an auditorium. But um, that being said, there is a lot here to like. Uh, the first track is Fun, Fun, Fun. From Hawthorne, California, to entertain you tonight with a gala concert and a recording session, the fabulous Big Star. So you hear Fred Vale at the very introduction, and then um, you hear them rip into it. And if it sounds similar to the studio version, that's because the backing track is the studio version. Um, Wait a minute. They did We've not. We've been <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the best part of it that's funny is that they had to speed it up a little bit to match the key that they do this song in live. Because they end the song, and they play the song in E-flat on the record. And they do the song in E live. And to get the ending to match up with the, with the song, they had to speed it up a little bit. So um, it, I think it's pretty funny. Like You can hear how it's a little bit sped up. And they sound a little bit like chipmunks. But um, they have the crowd noise over the top of it. And it, it's very convincing, especially if you're you know, a 13-year-old kid and you're listening to this. It sounds just like you're at a Beach Boys concert. So... Who cares? Whatever. But they weren't happy enough with the actual performance to use it on the record, which is a bummer because it is really cool. Um, you can hear 
the entire two shows. You can hear the entire two shows from the Sacramento uh, recordings in 1964. Um, they have been released digitally as live in Sacramento, which is really great to hear because you can hear the kind of unedited, unaltered versions of all of these songs. So um, definitely check that out. It's on Spotify and iTunes and all that stuff. And that's kind of how I was able to compare uh, the versions and figure out where these songs, where these recordings were sourced from. Um, I'm not going to rank these songs um, song by song. I just kind of decided that I just ranked the album as a whole because we've already talked about most of these songs and some of them are covers. And, you know, I'm just, I don't know. I don't really want to get into ranking these songs because it just feels redundant to me. I mean, I got I got lots of ranks for all these, but all right. It's <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's I'm, how can I rank this? It's just the studio version sped up half a step, so and without doubled vocals. It's easy. So, it's whatever. A, it's easy. It's a one. And you know, there's no there's no guitar solo either. Yeah, it's a one. It's because they only use one track vocals, and the guitar solo was on one of the vocal tracks. So there you go. Makes. Makes no sense when you actually listen to the record, but it makes total sense when you look at it in retrospect. Oh, sure. Well, how they recorded it, of course. It makes sense. Right. I had to do it at the end. But I would have been pretty confused when I was a kid. Like, where's the guitar solo? Um, anyway. Next up, we've got a cover, and it's interesting because it was a recent hit by Jan and Dean. One out of ten. Called The Little Old Lady from Pasadena. It's the little old lady from Pasadena I actually really dig this, to be honest. Um, I've always kind of liked this song, and I think it's I think it's silly that they're doing so many cover songs, but I do I do like their version better than Jan and Dean's version, for what it's worth. I think they killed it. Yeah, Mike's vocals really good. They're they're more in tune than Jan and Dean. I'll, I'll give them that. And I mean, I don't know. I think it's strange that they're doing a Jan and Dean cover that's not Surf City on here, because this isn't. You know, a Brian tune, but maybe this is a favor to Jan Barry to get some royalties. I don't know, or Roger Christian. I think you know. Also, it was a it was a recent hit, and I think you know, it's it's interesting. There's a lot of covers that they did back in you know '63, '64. Um, some of these shows they did more covers than originals, which is crazy. But I think back then it was all about just entertaining people and. Most of their audience was, you know, young teenagers, and yeah. they didn't want to sit through a bunch of album cuts and ballads and stuff, so they wanted to hear hits. So sure. that's why songs like "Little Old Lady" from Pasadena show up on here. Um, could have been, ca- could have been "Catch a Wave," you know. Right, sure. Um, could have been. We'll get to that later too. But um, I actually dig it, man. I really do. Uh, up next, we have "Little Deuce Coop." Little Deuce Coop. I like, I like this version, but I like this song a lot, so I'm good with it. The coolest part about this is, you know, they used to do the little intro talking about how we make a record. I love it. And uh, I always liked that when I was a kid, when I listened to this record. And uh, it kind of, it, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's, it's oversimplified, obviously, but it's interesting to get to hear, you know, the, the guys playing their separate parts and... Uh, 
it kind of gives you a little behind the scenes feel which I really really love and it's really cute and uh, yeah they do a great job on the tune Little Old Lady from Pasadena was from the 1964 show and then this one is from the 1963 recording um, as well as the next few songs so the next one being another cover it's called Long Tall Texan and it became a song that was you know also kind of ubiquitous with the Beach Boys it's 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 weird because uh, they never recorded it in the studio they did it on that Stars and Stripes record Um, yeah I guess they did yeah, but um, it's interesting because a lot of times when you look up this song, it's like, oh, it's a Beach Boys song. It's like, no, it's not a Beach Boys song. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, this guy named Henry Stretzlecki wrote it, and for some reason it was it was kind of a one-hit wonder, and then the Beach Boys did it because I think it's just kind of an interesting, fun little showy tune that, that Mike can kind of show out on and be silly. Um, it's super simple, and, you know, you can watch it on that Lost concert video, um, and it doesn't doesn't do a whole lot for me. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's just silly. It's a goofy, goofy like kids funny song. I do like on this version though. Um, Brian plays a really killer bass riff at the end, yeah, at so the just end, check that out. <laughs> yeah, that, at, the, at the end we go into, you know, I, I just want to go out on a limb. We give Brian Wilson a lot of credit for innovation, and I, I just feel like, you know, with this single uh, bass run ending to this long tall te- Texan, he's starting to dip his toes into the water of jazz fusion. Yeah, man, it's it's next level stuff for sure. So and, uh, all, all you Jocko fans out there, get down with this. You even got Mike Love playing a little saxophone on this one, so a bonus for all you Mike Love saxophone fans. Thank you. Thank you. All right, moving on, we've got. In My Room, a very brave song to do live because it's a very tough song to sing. And um, this is also from the 1963 concert. And we've talked about this song a million times, but it's a great song by Brian Wilson and Gary Usher. And they actually do a a really good job singing it on this tune. And uh, I really like this version. The only thing that kind of bums me out is like Brian gets kind of off a fret on the bass during the bridge and he's playing like (laughs) half step up i don't know if you noticed that jason but at the end of the bridge brian plays like you know over the beat where it should be nerdy but where it should be like a c sharp and then an f sharp he's playing a d and a g (laughs) so it's kind of a it's kind of a garbage fest that does you know two measures there but Otherwise, it's nice and pretty, and I think they do a decent job. Again, jazz fusion. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just experimenting with, you know, the bass kind of, you know, not playing on the same route as the, the guitar. He's just getting into that a little early here. But uh, You know what? Many a concert I've played in the recent past, as well as even further back, I, too, have experimented with jazz fusion in a live setting, so... Yeah, we all have. Yeah. Um, it happens. We call it the cyclone. The cyclone. Woo, woo, woo. All right, let's move on. I do also want to say, like, Brian kills that, that high note at the end of In My Room. Yeah, the singing is it's fantastic. Awesome. I was listening to it again this morning, and I was just like, man, despite all the hooting and the hollering, and boys are just killing it. Yeah. 
Thanks a million. Moving on, we've got another cover here, another silly song, but it's Monster Mash. It's the third best song on this album. <laughs> so again, this is from 1963. What a perfect song to play right before Christmas time. But um, it's weird they did this song like all. Uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a one-off thing. It was like they did this song as part of their set for a good while, and Brian still will throw this into their set every now and then. It's hilarious. I think Brian just loves this song. Yeah, they were doing it when they were doing a summer festival, and he's like, "I feel like doing Monster Mash today." <laughs> so look, this brings up a point I want to make. People give Mike Love a lot of grief for being like the goofster and the cheese, but let me tell you, I can, with certain confidence, know that Monster Mash is in this set and was in their set for a long time and long tall Texan because. Of Brian Wilson, I think it was hit more of his influence than Mike. To be honest with you, on those songs, because yeah. he loves humor, he loves being silly, he loves True. being the class clown. So, I just think that it, it may be equal parts both of them, but I just, I just don't understand, you know, why it, that wouldn't be the case. Because even if you think about Smile and all the crazy stuff he was trying to do with that. Yes, folks, I just drew a comparison between Smile and Monster Mash. Live with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure many rock scholars have drawn that comparison before, but, um, you know, we'll give you credit for it. Uh, yeah, so, so, yeah, I just wanted to point out that there's an interesting, there's a bit of bleed going on on the tape on this one. So it leads me to believe that the lead vocal was overdubbed in the studio. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that conspiracy Mike's, theory out there. You know what sound to play. So I do think that the lead vocal was overdubbed. I'm going to throw that out there. If anybody has any more information, you know who to call. But um, let's move on. Monster Mash. What else is there to say? You know, it's the Monster Mash. It's silly. Mike, Mike really gets down. I wish that I had a video of this, but you know, we have some, there's some grainy video footage out there of Mike doing the Monster Mash from 63 or 64 out there, so check that out. But um, moving on. on an episode of X Files. Moving on, we've got my favorite song on this record Let's Go Trippin'. All right, right now, every time we've been here, we've asked you to do one thing for us, and that. That one thing is to help us out and yell something. <laughs> All right? And the thing we want you to yell, three words. Let's go tripping. I want you to yell out on the count of three, okay? One. Two. Two and a half, three. And I'll tell you why, because Carl rips it to shreds. That's what I was going to say the same exact thing. We it's crazy. Dude, he must he must have gone back there and cranked his verb up and cranked his amp up and just like let loose because he rips on this song. The amount of territory that he covers. Also, I didn't even say this earlier when we were talking about Little Old Lady from Pasadena. His playing on that, where he has to cover all those weird little horn and whatever parts that are missing on the guitar is the redeeming factor of that song and the redeeming factor of this entire debacle that is this album because I think that his guitar playing makes this worth the purchase worth seeking out that and the album cover which I want to mention later but um, it, his playing is so awesome you hear that Jaguar cranked into that reverb tank into his Fender Showman and there's nothing else like it it sounds so good yeah I like it better than the Surfing USA version 
what else is there to say? It's a Dick Dale song, and uh, this is from the 64 concert. So, yeah, Carl was a little bit more advanced at this point and feeling super confident. And uh, his guitar sounds great. I'm guessing that he's playing um, a Fender Jaguar here. Yeah, it's definitely a Jaguar sound. Nothing else sounds like that. It's got this this real kind of pingy high-end and it's really unique to those specific pickups. Love it. Cuts through that um, mix. So they're still playing all Fender here, right? So Fender amps, Fender guitars, Fender reverb units. Oh, yeah. Great. Um, and we'll get into more Beach Boys gear at some point soon. You guys, you nerds who want to hear about that, we'll definitely do an episode on that. But that's going to take some real uh, digging and... Uh, Lots of lots of long hours scouring the smileysmile.net message board, which you know is which can be very very harmful for your health. So we don't recommend doing that without adult supervision. But That's right. let's move on. Uh, side two. First track, another cover. Look at that. This is Boom. Papa Ooh Mao Mao. And Mike just letting loose again. Brian singing a great lead vocal. I really do enjoy this. It is silly, but I mean, it's fun hearing the Beach Boys do it. Dennis is back there ripping the drums up. Yeah, and then Brian singing some insanely high notes at the end, which uh, I challenge anybody to. I challenge anybody to send us in a copy of you singing those notes, man. It's ridiculous, but. Um, a fun track. This is from the 1963 concert as well. But yeah, Papu Mau Mau. I mean, just kind of a goofball jam, but I do, it does have cool moments. I like the backing vocals and Brian's vocal a lot. Oh, yes. Moving on, we got The Wanderer. Another cover here. Oh, yeah. uh, and we've got Dennis Wilson singing a very appropriate lyric. So. Um, just you know, making the girls go wild out there. Oh yeah, talking about going town, going from town to town, just like spreading love everywhere. So as Dennis did, um, those girls loved it. So this was probably one of the more popular songs of their set at the time. Uh, and Dennis sounds pretty good on it. You know, it's tough to get a good vocal from the drummer, um, especially back then when the microphones were just kind of picking up everything but he actually sounds pretty good yeah i think he sounds really cool and you know that this song definitely fits him i'm certain it was catered to him you know just part of selling their show but i have a friend of mine who bought that album when it came out back in the 60s he got it for christmas when he was 10 years old or 11 years old and he said that his favorite track on this whole album was The Wanderer. He said he loved the just kind of loose feel of it and he loved Dennis's vocal so much. So I always felt that was interesting um, perspective that my friend had. So that's what I always think of when I hear that. It's like, oh yeah, that's that guy's favorite song on this album. How strange. Yeah, that is strange, but I do dig it. It's from the 1964 concert. Um, and then up next we have Hawaii. So another... Uh, original here finally and it's got a great lead vocal uh, by Mike and Brian and I think this is one of the best songs on the record it's really good yep it's right up there it's really really fantastic I love this song we've talked about that before how much I think this song is awesome I heard about all the pretty girls with their raspers down on their knees all my life Hawaii. 
Yeah, I love I love this version of it. Um, they cook pretty hard. It's interesting, you know. You listen to a lot of these songs. They don't as much as they played live. Like the endings of the songs are just kind of always up in the air. It's like nobody knew where the songs were supposed to end, and they're just kind of flailing around at the end of the song. It's like really strange yeah, to me. Yeah, they, they, they didn't have the art of ending a jam yet. No. But anyway, um, up next, guess what? It's another cover. It's a four freshman song. So this is really nice and sweet. This is graduation day. And really appropriate, you know, because uh, they were playing... Uh, in the summer of 1964, and there were a lot of, you know, people that had just graduated high school. Um, so it was another song that was kind of a, and you hear at the beginning, you hear Mike say, like, here's another song about school, and that makes no sense in the context of the live album, but they had just played Be True to Your School, and they just didn't put that on the record. But that's why. Mystery revealed. It's too bad that it wasn't on the album. Yeah. Um, but graduation day is really good, and they kind of they kind of goof around a little bit. Um, I'm not positive who it is, but somebody starts like crying into the microphone during the bridge section. Um, it might actually be Brian. seem to like it a lot and I think it's a really awesome song uh, in the first place and the harmonies are great and they do a really good job live with it great chords great guitar by Carl on this too uh, so I'm, this is way high up on my list of songs I really enjoy on this record next another controversial track we've got i get around um which is another track that they did not feel was good enough to use on the record as is so they just used the studio version again um and i think they overdubbed the vocals in the studio but it's the studio backing track for sure some crowd noise um with crowd noise, yep. Um, and it's a very awkward transition into the studio version because Mike's talking and then all of a sudden he goes round, round, get around, and it's like obviously not in the same place, same time at all. <laughs> so, but whatever. I mean, you know, the illusion was probably good enough at the time and uh, people probably loved it. Who cares? But the intro of the song is from 1964 and you can hear the actual version on that live in Sacramento release, um, which I get why they didn't want to use it. It's not that great. I mean, there's some weird stuff going on with the harmonies, and they can't really do all the harmonies on this because it's it's a pretty you know it's a pretty big five part harmony song. Um, there's one thing interesting that I realized. I was trying to figure out how they pulled this song off with four vocals, even though there's like five distinct harmony parts, um, and it's kind of nerdy, but. Um, Brian actually jumps down at the beginning before he gets into his falsetto part to sing Dennis's note on the intro part, which is, um, Jason, the part that you sing, Yeah. Um, which is really interesting. I noticed that when I was watching um, uh, another live performance, but I was trying to figure out how they did it and who was moving around and stuff, and I, I'm pretty sure that Brian moves down to that G-sharp at the beginning and then jumps up to the falsetto. Anyway, super nerdy, not not something that really we need to spend a lot of time also on, but hard I thought to, that was cool. Also hard to do. Super hard to do, but it's like, you know, that's how they got around working those five parts, and, and Don't Worry Baby is, is the same way. Like It just feels very empty when they did it live back then because they only had the four-part vocals on a song with six 
vocal parts. So, um, anyway, it's not really worth talking about. It's the studio version. It's fine. It's whatever. It's a it's a sham. But let's just move on. We've been had. <laughs> um, they had to put it on there because it was their recent number one hit. So they couldn't leave. I get around off, but uh, either way, um, the last track. Uh, a favorite of Jason's, Johnny B. Good, Chuck yes. Berry, whoa, from the whoa, 1963 whoa. concert. <laughs> Great lead vocal, doubled lead vocal by Mike and Brian. Really, really good. Um, obviously, you know, Carl Wilson ripping it up. They're kind of firing on all cylinders here. Um, song is very similar to Fun, 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 so I, I'm sure I would have gotten confused when I was a kid and be like, oh yeah, they're playing Fun, Fun, Fun. Wait, no, they're playing Johnny B. Good. Um, so yeah, really good, really, really good. Uh, what else can you say? I mean, it's a classic song. You know this song. You've heard it a million times, but I think it's great here, and the Beach Boys do it. Yeah, I really like the version, and I like that they're ripping it up, and I like their harmony application to the Chuck Berry classic, and this is a cover on this record that I really am stoked about. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, in closing, you've really only got, I don't know, let's see. You've got... (laughs) Right, you've got five originals. Um... Two of them are not really live, so you've really only got three original Beach Boys songs that were actually live on this live album. And then, <laughs> but, and then a hey, bunch of garbage. Uh, well, you know, that's your opinion, man, but um, I really do like just, this album. I do, wish, I do wish that they had used some of the other live versions from the actual concert. Um, and I, I understand why they did it, but... Um, for me, as a fan, I would love to have heard some of the other tracks in there. Um, but let's get into that. So, Jason, I was talking about, um, you know, a lot of the things. Wish we did this. Wish they did that. What would your dream set list, if you saw the Beach Boys in August of 1964, what would you love to hear them play? All right. I'm ready. Are you ready for this? Do it. All right. Well, this is in no particular order, but this is what I want to hear. I want to hear Surfing Safari, 409, Surfing USA, Shut Down, Surfer Girl, Little Deuce Coop, Catch a Wave, Our Car Club. Yep. <clears throat> Be True to Your School, Fun, 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 Little Honda, Wendy. How many songs is that? Probably, probably enough. And then I, I want to hear Don't Worry Baby and I Get Around and don't back down and then i want the show to end with their hearts were full of spring ooh into into graduation day and closing out with johnny be good so that's my set well mine's pretty similar um i don't want any covers in there really but i want uh all summer long to be the opener i think that would be crazy and then I get around, don't worry, baby, our car club, shut down, little deuce coop, do all those car songs together, you know? Yeah. And then um, Farmer's Daughter. Oh, yeah. And Wendy, kind of a sweet little section. And then I would love some surf songs. So kick it off with Don't Back Down, Catch a Wave, Surfing USA, bridging the gap between some ballads here with Surfer Girl, and then do In My Room. Yeah. And then hawaii oh yeah i left hawaii off i kind of was going to interchange that with don't back down either way i'd be real happy oh yeah and then i i love them to close with fun 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 because that's just you know one of their best songs live i may, and, I may uh, have left that off my list <laughs> but yeah i mean it's it's just i mean the set that they actually played was pretty fantastic um 
in 64 they weren't playing as many covers they were still doing some covers yeah but um in 64 they were changing up the set a little bit every night and there's not a lot of good documentation of like what their actual set was night to night that i could find but um they were doing don't back down they were doing be true to your school they were doing hushabye um they were doing hawaii they were doing windy and they were doing graduation day a bunch of great songs that i would love to have seen i guess let's rank the album um it's tough you know i i I feel like it's not really even fair to rank this album but let's do it just for the fans out there um that want a ranking um i'm actually pretty generous with this record i give it a six out of ten because the songs that i think they really do well are awesome and it's the only way to hear them i mean like especially from the perspective of being in 1964 1965 this was the only way like for me if i was growing up in you know a small town or, or you know wherever i grew up in a, in a small town in mississippi so there's no way i would have been able to go see the beach boys as a teenager and this would have been my gateway into actually seeing the band live and understanding what the what all the hype was about and getting to hear some of my favorite songs whether they're beach boy songs or jan and dean songs or whatever um played live by my favorite band so just thinking about that aspect of it it is really cool and i would have totally been fooled by the studio versions with the crowd noise over the top so i give it a six out of ten just for that reason very cool i give it a two out of ten this is my least listened to Beach Boys record aside from Summer in Paradise and Stars and Stripes or whatever that thing's called. Um, so, and that's because I like their other live recordings, whether it be the stuff that came out recently as, uh, as copyright um, releases or the later concert stuff, whether it's live in London or, or 73 live, because I kind of heard all all the original live releases around the same time, you know, back when I was a teenager, I just gravitated more to the stuff that had just better, better playing, better singing, all that stuff. Plus I just, you know, I just wasn't stoked about all the different covers. I mean, I really like Monster Mash and I really like Johnny Be Good, but I don't know. I just, and then the fake live recordings, me being a, you know, a musician and whatever, I spotted those right away when I first heard this. So I was just kind of like, uh, I don't love this. And there's bad live albums from other bands around this time. They hadn't really fully perfected live records, but so I give it a two out of 10, but just for my personal taste, I, I mean, it's fine. It is really cool. There are great moments. Those other releases that are more of a fly on the wall retrospective of this era of live recording is much more interesting to me. Um, but I will say it's an important piece of Beach Boys history because it was their first number one album. It's incredible. I mean, this album in a way um, probably introduced some people to the Beach Boys that maybe hadn't really caught on yet. So that's that's awesome. And, and it probably helped them sell a lot of tickets in 1965. Yeah. So for those reasons, it's a great and important record. And it's also, you know, the last record really with Brian on it, last live album. Yeah. With Brian. Yeah. On so, it. so I mean, mean all that not, stuff is, is cool. Uh, you know, you can you can say what you will about the song selection or some of the, you know, some of the studio stuff that they put on it, but it's the only real release that uh, outside of the, you know, recent things that came out that showcases Brian in a live setting. So, yeah. And, and, and and like I said, I think if I were a fan who was, you know, around in the sixties and buying this and, and been around, then I probably would have had a different perspective, but my perspective really was what I was saying. I mean, for Brian, I mean, I give it a two out of ten because I like Brian singing so much, and I like some of the moments. But I, I hardly, I'm harshly ranking it because of those those studio, um, phony things and like long tall Texan, 
But, you know, Carl's guitar, Brian's voice, save kind of a bad album, just to be honest with you. That's my, I mean, that's my opinion. Um, I mean, that I said this on our last podcast. The live Lost concert would have been a way better live album for me personally if they had just taken the audio from that and maybe plugged in, you know, Monster Mash and it'd been a 30 minute little live album or EP or whatever. It's, it's way better sounding, way more interesting, and just better played, all that stuff. And you get that on some of those other, like I've had bootlegs from the era and all kinds of other live recordings where just stuff is more interesting and better than this particular release. And it feels like maybe even more of a capital put together thing than a Brian masterminded overall thing. I mean, I could be wrong, but it's just how it feels. So all that to say, it's one of their coolest album covers. It's such a great album cover. The font on oh, the, yeah, it is. the font on the front is so cool. And the picture of them is just great. It's it's a total time capsule of the band. In fact, I would say that the this particular album cover along with the Surf and Safari album cover, are two of their most iconic images of the band. So, you know, that right there is also a big saving grace. But yeah, I'm just not a huge fan of the content. I'm much of the musical content of this record. I'm much more, you know, interested in the historical importance and the images than I am the record itself. And there's probably a lot of other people out there like that, so... Totally understandable. And yeah, I probably don't listen to this record much, but um, it was really fun revisiting it. And I was pleasantly surprised. And I think all you guys should check it out if you haven't, especially just to hear um, some really great guitar playing and some great singing um, and some really silly stuff from Mike. Uh, to really get an idea of what it was like to go to a Beach Boys concert in 1963 or 1964. But we're getting into kind of a different era of the Beach Boys now, which is really exciting. Um, I think this album, in a lot of ways, really is the end of the first era of the Beach Boys' career. Um, because at the end of 1964, there was a pivotal moment in Brian Wilson's life um, which we'll talk about um, very much in the next few episodes. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, we are going to be back soon. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about next week, but it's going to be something that you're going to enjoy because it's going to be something to do with the Beach Boys. I'll tell you that. Boom. Uh, what else do we want to say? I think that's it. Definitely keep in touch with us if you're going to come out to see us play at a show or if you can be in the area. Just let us know, and we'd love to get up with you and talk about America's band, So, um, which obviously is Jan and Dean. So. <laughs> I'm going to get – got to get Dominic Puree on the show, man. Yeah, we'll just have a big, that big, will be, a big argument. Dude, we'd have like we'd have like fifty thousand downloads of that episode. All right, Dominic, I challenge you to come on our show. <laughs> He'll never listen to this. Anyway, um, that's it. Thank you guys for listening. Look forward to whatever's next, whatever that may be. It's an exciting time for us. We're getting into my favorite era of the Beach Boys. Go ahead and send us an email at saleonpodcast at gmail.com and tell us what you think about the Beach Boys live album. Is it a big stinky turd or is it actually really cool? <laughs> hey, New Girl in School's good, so I do like some Jan and Dean. Just so yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. All right. That's it. Sail on sailors. Boom. <laughs>